Hey everybody and welcome. This is episode number 28, Wade Out There. You are listening to the Wilderness Tamer podcast and thank you so much for tuning in. My guest this week was Jason Shemchek. He is a former Air Force pilot who flew the A-10 Warthogs in combat and after completing his time in the military decided his to follow his two passions in life, fly rod fishing and drawing and becoming an artist. And through that, he started a podcast called Wade Out There, hence the title. It was a real pleasure to get to talk to the man. He was real knowledgeable in all aspects of life and has definitely fished and hunted the states that are on my checklist. But before I let y'all go to enjoy this podcast, let me give a quick shout out to the sponsors. First off is Dry Pocket Apparel. They are the future of swimwear that come with an integrated dry bag as a pocket with a self-sealing magnetic strip that is certified to go 100 feet down that'll keep your phone dry as a bone. So go check them out on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and as well as drypocketapparel.com. Now, to save you some money, use promo code, all caps, WILDERNESS, to get you 25% off your order. My other sponsors is Nomad Outdoors. They have great clothing and camo options to keep you out all day taming your wilderness. So, I do thank you, and I hope y'all enjoy this episode as much as I did. And again, thank you, Jason, for coming on. I thoroughly enjoyed it, man. So, y'all have a good day, and thank you for listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 28, Wade Out There. This week's guest is Jason Shimchuk. Let's get him on the phone and get this podcast rolling. Hello, man. How are you? Good. I'm doing great. Thanks good, for calling. Good, good, man. Just dealing with daily life. <laughs> Got a pretty good yeah. rainstorm going down down here, so we had to batten down the hatches at the farm. Oh, man. Well, uh, if you want to, welcome to the podcast. Introduce yourself real quick, and then we'll get into some fly fishing. Okay. Yeah, great. My name's Jason Shemchek. Um, I'm from Seattle, Washington area, suburbs. Grew up out there. I spent a lot of time in Montana growing up. Uh, learned how to hunt out there, and spending times in the in the mountains in the on a on a ranch, cow ranch in the summers. And then uh, went to school in Colorado. Went to pilot training for the Air Force. Uh, did that for about fifteen years. Had some uh, some sprints of fly fishing in there. Uh, kind of got passionate about fly fishing in Colorado in school out uh and then yeah when I was done flying for the Air Force I um decided to move to Utah so now we're out in Utah uh, I'm able to you know pursue my my business uh I've got like I've I've been able to pursue my my fly fishing business and my art out here a little bit better and it's it's a lot better quality of life for my family uh, i imagine for sure especially there's probably a lot bigger market of fly fishermen out there too <laughs> yeah yeah my last assignment uh, my last assignment active duty was in las vegas i actually did fly fish quite a bit in vegas in southwest utah mm. um and then i moved out to kansas city missouri that was where i joined the reserves and i did a little bit down the ozarks and then tried to go on as many trips as i could and you know, um, I was a little kid, always wanted to fly airplanes, and it's kind of a dream come true for me to fly the A-10. Mm-hmm. So when I was in the reserves in uh, Kansas City area, um, you know, when that was over, I was really looking for something that I was going to be passionate about the same way I was passionate about flying and oh, yeah, the mission sure. that, that I had, uh, that we did in the A-10. So, um, you know, I'm passionate about flying fishermen. I'll, I'll I'm a passionate fly fisherman. I want to, I want to keep doing my art and writing and, and all that. So I started wait out there. Uh, mm-hmm. initially it was a blog and then, uh, started putting my art out, started selling art and then, uh, felt like the blog wasn't enough value. So I'd start a podcast to start to talk to people about, uh, kind of their, their journeys and their stories of fly fishing. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. Sounds like you've lived a pretty full life so far. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got 
pretty lucky with, uh, you know, just, yeah. So I'll tell you that I can go back to a lot of the times in my life when I made decisions and typically the harder decision to make, uh, the times when I, when I made those decisions, uh, it seems like it brought me a lot of adventure and joy in my life. Oh, I bet for sure. Now, taking it back a little bit, what was your first memory of picking up a fly rod and where were you at? Yeah, so when I, um, so summers in high school, I went out to Montana and I worked on a cattle ranch. My father uh, spent time in Montana when he was younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my family's originally from New Jersey area. My dad moved away, uh, married my mom, moved away to Montana when he was just a kid. And so he had friends out there that were, old Montana, like had homesteaded the area. Oh, wow. So I, um, yeah, we used to go out there on vacation and stuff. And, um, eventually I got old enough and, uh, you know, the, the gentleman that owned the ranch, uh, asked if I would come out next summer and work. And <laughs> sir, yes, my, sir. My parents agree. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I can't, um, it's a real, blessing to have had that opportunity and you know for my parents to let go like that a little bit and let their teenage kid out (laughs) in montana but that was probably the first part of it i know we picked up a fly rod i I fished a lot my father taught me about the mountains and rivers Mm -hmm. and where to find fish and stuff but it was always a spinning tackle yeah and grasshoppers and uh night crawlers and things Mm-hmm. Um, growing up mostly and sometimes and that's then, about the only thing that'll work sometimes yeah yeah, yeah it depends but, fly fishing ain't for the faint-hearted <laughs> yeah yeah there's a there's a there's a learning period and uh typically i find that usually there's something else that brings you out to the river besides catching fish and fly fishing but oh, eventually for sure i still i still think that fly fishing is a uh, is a more productive way of catching trout if you if you are truly mm-hmm. proficient and know what you're doing and you're on the river and you understand it but yeah but I agree Montana, with that. you know we picked up fly rod and messed around with it and play with it a little bit but mostly still spinning rig out there and then when i was in colorado at the air force academy i had a few friends and uh, a teacher that was kind of a mentor to me in fly fishing and he and they really got me hooked into it and i i really learn to love it and learn to mm-hmm. pro- want to progress and get better and in the four years i was out there i i, I went a fair amount you know could have gone mm-hmm. more looking back but uh, i had other stuff going on too so you know that. i went quite a bit in colorado and that's where i kind of decided that it, was a, it was a great way to get me out in the mountains and on the rivers which is where i, I mm-hmm. love to be oh yeah now going back to montana what kind of streams were y'all fishing was it like like i say as a southern boy you're gonna forgive me here which I fished yeah. up in North Georgia or North Georgia, North Carolina, all around in there in Appalachia. Yeah. But uh, is it like those small where it's like a grass field and there's like a small stream, or is it actually got rocks and actually turbulence like a French Broad River down here? Um, or a little it's of got both. Rocks and mountains, and um, you know, there's some areas in, in the Rocky Mountains where you'll find a stream, like sections of the South Platte in Colorado that mm-hmm. are kind of open windy hilly area yeah uh, meadows and things like that or up in high country sometime meadows yeah but um but for the most part i would say um you know uh if you've ever fished the nanahala up in north carolina Mm -hmm. maybe a little little bit wider than that okay and not not as forested you know or, or different kind of forest and then big big mountains above the tree line that, that oh yeah it's kind of a lot bigger of, mountains <laughs> yeah you know i mean but i love i think north carolina is beautiful and i i was stationed out in uh in georgia i recognize your 229 number when you call but uh-huh. uh yeah I've, I've been out there um and i i think that's beautiful as well just yeah. like uh learning how to hunt in the midwest was first i didn't know if i was gonna do it even i was like well that's not for me you know i learned mm-hmm. how to hunt spot and stock in the mountains and blah 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 but you know i'm so glad that i changed my perspective and embraced it because i i learned to really enjoy being in a tree stand and i mm-hmm. i bought a bow because there's longer hunting season and more places i could hunt and you know it's a different experience but it's cool to go up in a tree stand for a couple hours 
watch the woods wake up and then come home have coffee and make breakfast you know like mm-hmm. everybody it's a it's a way to get out to the woods a little bit more um you know more frequent more frequent yeah. my time is all you're meaning because <laughs> as yeah, dad fathers and husbands like yeah. yeah you're out you just pop over to your your uh, blind or whatever so yeah, yeah. But uh, the only reason I asked about the mountain stream thing, kind of getting back to that, I don't mean to get away from hunting. We'll get back into it real quick. But uh, I have a buddy who lived down here, and he moved out to Colorado. And the pictures he was posting, it looks like they were just going through, like, jigging a fly. And, I mean, the creek, I mean, it had to be. It was small brookies they were catching, so it wasn't like a big brown or nothing like that. But I was just amazed that the fish would be in something that small, which they can be. But I was just amazed at the different type of terrain. It just didn't look like a lot. Yeah, yeah. There's – um. There's trout in small streams too, and sometimes they can get pretty big, especially back east. From what I hear, I haven't mm-hmm. fished. Much, I haven't fished at all in like Pennsylvania and, and that area. But I've heard that that the small stream big brown fishing is good out that way. But yeah, you know, there's tons of mountain creeks and things, and they've all got little trout in them, pretty much cutthroats mm-hmm. and brookies and things like that. Uh, now, kind of starting off, what was kind of your, like your go-to flies or someone starting out new fly rod fishing or something like that? <laughs> Yeah, whatever was in the box that they that was laying in the lodge at the ranch. You know? <laughs> okay. like, we didn't really know what we were doing. I mean, way back in the beginning, uh-huh. just this is a dry fly. I knew a dry fly and a wet fly. Yeah, I knew this floats on top, and I didn't. Um, I didn't even really use nymphs or uh, or wet flies much. Just uh, I don't know. Just didn't. Just didn't until I got to Colorado. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, you know, it's summertime in Montana, and you know, I don't know. We were, it was just more fun for me to do dry flies. And I would guess we were probably fishing caddis and, um, big stimulators, mm-hmm. uh, grasshoppers, um, you know, just big stuff yeah. like that. Royal wolf, uh, yeah, Adams, I use actually... parachute Adams, big, big dry flies, Montana yeah. and then Colorado. I'm no, ecologist or uh scientist but i don't know what it is exactly about the uh environment in colorado but there's a lot smaller fly selection it seems that the trout seem to to be a little bit more prone to to take smaller flies both dry and wet Mm -hmm. um that's my experience certainly small flies in colorado and montana sometimes too and okay um, so idaho and wyoming would you think that'd be a product of like people too, like for a smaller presentation, I guess, or too many people fishing, you think? Maybe pressure. Yeah. I, I would guess it probably has to do with, um, yeah, I wouldn't, I, you know what? I wouldn't venture, I guess. Yeah. I just, it's something, it's something I've noticed. Yeah. Uh, and I've talked to a lot of people on my podcast that are from Colorado that, that travel around and they tend to agree mm. that in, in general, that's a, theme so well, that's one of the reasons why people like to go out to montana i guess is because they get to throw the big dry fly and get the big aggressive yeah. take on the surface well see that's me and my brother he's a big fire off fisherman as well and he's in the reserves for the army or was and we're wanting to plan a backpacking trip somewhere out west a good spot to go to like a high country lake or somewhere and go catch some big browns or just something you know what i mean yeah sure man. That's there's future, all, all that's plans. out there yeah but um I know you said Royal Wolf. That's a cut or a fly I use on the regular down here from South Georgia all the way up to North Carolina, and it oh, seems cool, to man. work good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's well, a classic. Now, what kind of, or what size fly rod do you tend to use, and weight wise? Uh, I'm a nine foot five weight guy. You know, I'm just mm-hmm. now starting to get into uh, different different types of rods for different types of situations but in to be quite honest you know i haven't had the opportunity to fish as much where i would really you know need or benefit too much from that mm-hmm. um i probably would benefit more than i know but um yeah nine foot five weight you know my first rod was from walmart you know sneaking out of the academy to <laughs> pick up a fly rod on my way up to see uh you know see you boulder to mm-hmm. Try and have some beers and you know, talk to some girls and stuff. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, and then I, I, you know, I bought a. I had a. They've all been nine foot five ways, just a little bit nicer as I've gone along. Mm-hmm. You said that's um, about a good average too, because you can go from small to big if you catch something. I mean, if if somebody was starting out fly fishing and they're like, "Which rod should I get?" 
uh, unless they were living in an area where they were going to do some very, very specific type of fly fishing. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're down in the south fishing for bass, maybe a nine foot five weight is probably not the best. You know, maybe yeah. you want to do something bigger, like maybe a seven weight or at least six weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're out east, you know, and you're going to get into euro nymphing and tight line fly fishing and stuff, maybe you want a, a 10 foot rod, maybe a 10 foot four weight or something like that. You're going to. But, um, yeah, I mean, typical trout fly rod, I would say nine foot five weight is pretty, uh, pretty standard. Oh, cool. Cool. Now you say you're getting into art. Have you been a drawer your whole life or is this something you kind of picked up in the military during having some free time and how, <laughs> how did that pan out? Yeah. No free time in the military, man. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, it was long days the air force but i was doing what i love so it didn't it mm-hmm. didn't um it wasn't a burden and you know what i didn't have kids so um it was much easier for me and my wife to to handle that lifestyle oh, um, i bet <laughs> yeah um you know i was an artistic kid i was uh, i like to draw and i like to color and um when i was in high school i took some art electives junior high i took some art electives and you know i just always enjoyed it i always enjoyed sketching and i and i love studying art you know mm-hmm. I, I love like old western artists like frederick remington and charlie um uh oh, charlie carter uh oh man it's escaping me no um, you're good you're good but uh um so i i i've always loved art when i was growing up and then when i joined the air force i kind of just flushed that man i mean there wasn't really you know it was i spent most of my time in the books learning about the airplane the enemy threats the weapon systems we were employing the mm-hmm. tactics um all that uh i really i was i wanted to be good at my job oh you got to be you can't fail at that job (laughs) yeah i felt like i owed it to the guy on the ground and i owed it to my family to to put everything into it i didn't want to i didn't want to make any mistakes that uh either hurt myself or hurt somebody else Mm -hmm. on that uh that i could attribute to hey if you had worked harder maybe you wouldn't have yeah you wouldn't have done that uh i understand that (laughs) i don't know maybe i took it a little too seriously but (laughs) I also really enjoyed it as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was long. 12 hour day was the standard six days a week kind of thing for about 12 years. Yeah. The hell it's combat. It's life or death. I mean, like you said, you got to keep it to the guy on the ground. You got to make sure he goes on too. Yeah. Yeah. But so when did you sell your first piece and realize like, Hey, I can make that go with this. <laughs> well, when I started the blog, I started wait out there because I, I also want to write fiction and novels mm-hmm. and things like that and books. Uh, but since I had not done any of that for, you know, 15 years flying for the Air Force, I wanted to just practice. Yeah. And so I wanted to write about things and put my writing out into the world. And I learned about blogs. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. Google, what is a blog? You know? <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, so I, I figured that out, and I figured out how to build a website, and then I started writing, and I when I figured what I would write about, I thought that I should write about something that I really enjoyed so I wouldn't get tired of it. And mm-hmm. I, thought, I, I thought if there was one thing I could do every day for the rest of my life, besides spend time with my family, would be go fly fishing on a river. I like I like being on a river, and I, and I like that fly fishing gets me there. So, mm-hmm. so I started the blog about fly fishing, and then, um, and then I started – you know, I had my parents had bought me some art supplies when I was in the Air Force in the hopes that I would kind of get back into it, which I did not until <laughs> I got kind of done flying. And then I started painting and started showing people and I was getting positive feedback and I felt comfortable and confident. And I also also kind of embraced a little bit of like, yeah, I don't care what other people think as much. You know, I'm just going to put this out and if I don't, then... I'll never know how it's going to go. And I certainly am not going to get better if I don't keep right, you know, painting and writing. So mm-hmm. just kept going at it. And, um, yeah, I, I, I wanted to sell t-shirts on my website. I thought it would be cool for there to be like a wait out there t-shirt. And I figured out how to sell things on the website. Uh, and then 
I was like, well, hey, if I can sell t-shirts on this thing, I could probably sell art. And then I figured out how to make prints, high quality, like fine art prints. And uh, got a printer and then I started putting them on the website and selling them. I heard that. Uh, yeah. The, now, yeah, first original sale was pretty exciting. That was pretty cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. Where do you pull inspiration from for your art? Is it from time being out in the woods or pictures you've taken or anything like that? Or do you just kind of start drawing and going with it? Because sometimes I'll do that. I'll sit down and start drawing something and it'll just kind of happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd love to hear more about your art. But I, um, I, I, I work from photographs, typically, pictures. I will mm -hmm. do some, like, I'll draw something from outside. Uh, I haven't done any plain air painting or anything like sitting outside and painting something mm -hmm. that you see, but I uh, typically work from photography photographs. Um, and, uh, but I don't really, I try not to work either write or paint or do creative work, uh, when on the basis of being inspired. Uh, mm -hmm. and what I mean is, feel like um the because i'm not inspired enough and yeah. i guess that's so if i only did the work when i was inspired then i wouldn't get enough work done so i try and make it uh like a job you know and sometimes mm -hmm. you you want to get in do it and sometimes you don't but you still go to work you know and mm -hmm. that's the way i've tried to I've tried to approach uh, my creative endeavors and, um, you know, being out in Utah now, I've hopefully freed up a lot more time for me to, you know, treat it that way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, cause it is a, it is a, like at this point, it's not my full time gig. Yeah. Oh, for sure. But Hey, you keep working that and eventually it can be. Yeah. Especially you, I'll say nowadays you don't got to have a brick and mortar store. People don't realize that you can definitely, you can maybe everybody knows this, but most of the time they get caught up in the reeds with it. That you can make a living from the house as long as you get creative and work at it. Yeah. Working time. But, all right. So when did you get into hunting? Um, I got into hunting, you know, junior high, probably fifth grade, sixth grade. My parents would let me out of school for a week, and we'd go out to Montana and uh, hunt on the ranch. What were y'all after most uh, of the time? Muleys and whitetail. There's both out there. So mm -hmm. if we were going to be on the ranch, sometimes we'd, we'd hunt in and around the ranch by the river, and muleys would hang out down there and come out of the hills. Or we'd hike up in the mountains or, or back higher up in some of the coolies further out on the ranch and, and hunt for uh, muleys. But, yeah, I do want to plan everywhere. a hunt out there one year or soon. Sometime soon, I want to get me a mule deer. Do they taste different? I've heard they have like a different taste than whitetail. You know, I can't recall. Okay. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> I, 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 I hunted whitetails, you know, exclusively out in Kansas City mm -hmm. and did pretty good. I never got any big monster bucks, but I did get meat. Hey, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> And my family loves venison and everything, so it's great. And we love it. And I, I mean, a venison backstrap on on the on the smoker, you know, on the grill. Oh or something. god, yeah, like, medium rare backstrap. Yeah, really <laughs> medium rare with just like butter, salt, and pepper. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can crush one of them with my boy. He's like seven years old. Like we'll knock it out. But, I heard that. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. I I think that it's. I think it does depend on what they're eating. You mm -hmm. know. Um, but I remember growing up, we ate a lot of venison, uh, mm -hmm. a lot of venison and we, I, I loved it back then too. I mean, our, yeah. we've always had venison and I don't recall any real difference. I guess I'm fixing to find out here if I get some deer either this year or hopefully definitely next year. Heck yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, cause there's not many whitetail out here in Utah from what I hear. Mm -hmm. It's not like Montana, but I think, um, you know, I, I'm probably going to go against the grain here as far as food preparation, but yeah. I was raised, I was always taught that after you get a deer, the most important thing for the way that that venison tastes is to get it cold as soon as possible. So I never hang deer. I don't ever let it age or hang or mm -hmm. I, 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 I skin it and cut it up and get it in the freezer as soon as possible. And that's the way we've always done it. And I've never had, even guests, I've never had people say that tastes gamey or anything like that. But mm -hmm. 
you know, that's just been my experience. I know other people do do it differently. Most people probably do it differently, but that's the way I do it. Yeah, and that's that's about standard too. I mean, the only way you can really mess it up because I've worked at a deer processor. This will be my second year now. I just started yeah. it mainly to have opportunities for the podcast and to get free processing, so it wasn't that bad. Yeah. And uh, I've learned a lot just working there the past year to where like you'll well for one, a lot of people can't shoot right. If you can shot placement is everything when harvesting meat. Some deer yeah. come in, man, they look like they were at the Valentine's Day massacre. Yeah, so, yeah. But a big thing with that is like watching your glands and the like elbow area and stuff around there. Because I think there's like four or six in each deer. But yeah. like, the main thing is, like you say, get it cold. And I've also heard this, that it's good to let the rigor mortis or let rigor mortis happen on the bone. And the meat will re-relax. But if you take it off and throw it in the cooler, it'll shrink up too so i just i don't know it's tit for tat stuff yeah i don't know <laughs> but so were you bow hunting rifle hunting or, or... Uh, i was all rifle growing up and mm-hmm. then uh i start about halfway i i got a bow year before i left bow hunted and then i bow hunted a little bit this past year before my daughter was born but um yeah i didn't i didn't bow hunt much leading up to her birth in november yeah heard that, that. and that last final stages there was kind of touch and go for a little bit so. yeah, i know the feeling <laughs> but uh you live in utah you got any inclinations to put in for an elk tag yeah i got big inclinations <laughs> I, 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 i'm they make you live here for six months before you get in-state tag ah. so i'm not gonna do an in, yeah. i'm not gonna do an out-of-state elk tag this year mm-hmm. i don't even know if i could at this point um but next year 100 percent chance yeah. of me doing that unless something unforeseen comes up and uh you know make friends talk to some uh ranchers and farmers maybe do some work for them this summer and see if that pays off but uh i'll be up in the mountains chasing elk for Heck sure yeah, next year and when does the in montana uh but never caught one where and when does the season start up there i don't even know uh-huh. i just know that typically i think that it's a little bit earlier than like november uh you know mm-hmm. but I, I don't really know for oh, sure okay. it depends on the state and yeah oh yeah i know all the regular zones and stuff yeah because y'all got do y'all have a lot of public land hunting out there i mean of course i'll do or is is it more like kind of private um i'm you know since i've been here i've heard a lot of people tell me that the area that i'm in around the uintas and up by snow basin and uh, morgan valley there's a lot of private land Mm -hmm. but i mean this is the rocky mountains so there is public land out here you just got to get to it and hike up into it you know just be willing to drive and like you say just get in there yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll figure it out for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I found I mean, it was a similar problem when I was in the Midwest. You know, it seemed like everybody's got a farm, and you know, there wasn't a lot of public land. And mm-hmm. you know, if you don't know a, a landowner, now you didn't need as much land. I guess that was the the good side of that. But eventually, I found people. Uh, you know, uh, there was a farmer that I went hunted his place with firearms, and then I had a neighbor who's family had a small piece that i would bow hunt on that was really close to the house which uh never got a deer on that place uh i went a lot but i just never got a good never got a shot i did have a couple misses too so <laughs> and then yeah, everybody has plenty of i did those. get a turkey out there though which oh, sweet. Was, i mean it blew me away man it was it was so exciting it was so much fun my dad came out pretty much every year since i got into it and we'd go out in the blind sit there drink coffee kind of laugh and listen mm-hmm. you know and you know and uh called in a big tom and uh heck yeah man you should have seen us jumping around i mean <laughs> i was i had i had tears of joy in my eyes i was so oh excited yeah because you know we didn't get anything for the first two years didn't even see anything mm-hmm. but we heard tons of turkeys and then finally being able to like no kidding we definitely called in this this tom you know like oh yeah heard a gobble called gobble closer you know over mm-hmm. time about an hour and then he just bebops around the corner out towards our our deeks and it was lots of <laughs> yeah i just didn't realize that it would have been so exciting it was every bit as exciting as any deer that i've ever gotten for sure yeah turkey hunting to me it's a, it's like deer hunting but a lot more relaxed but when you like you say when it's go time it's like the amps on 11 
for me. <laughs> yeah, because it's so close, I guess, because you got shotgun, and mm-hmm. they're just amazing creatures, and typically, if you've got your decoys out, so we have two hens and a, a Jake out there, and, mm-hmm. you know, it just puffs up, it's like a robot turkey, you know, just yeah. sliding across the grass, it was spitting and drumming. Day. <laughs> yeah, I'm really proud of that day, and I, I'm so happy to have shared it with my father i mean it was it was pretty cool yeah and and to to learn calling and to learn all that you know i'm no expert you know i would Mm -hmm. say i'm slightly below average but uh it was just cool it was fun well that's the good uh, good thing about turkey hunting you don't gotta be the best like even this year or past few seasons i should say i used to be try to be as loud as i could be so so they gotta hear me now i i barely put to where i'm i i think to myself i doubt they can hear this but then you'll hear one knock off over there in the woods somewhere. So it's just yeah, I, touch and go kind of thing. It is. I, I had a piece of advice. There was a piece of land out there I was looking at and I called a guy and he, you know, he, he was, he was like, Oh, you like turkey hunt? And I never hunted with him, but he, he told me, cause I would tell him what I'm doing. Cause I hadn't had any luck. Mm-hmm. He's like, you're going too early, man. You need to go out later. I'm like, no, come on. That's not what you do. The early bird gets the worm. You know, you get out there early and call <laughs> yeah. them off the roost and all this stuff. You know, and he said, yeah, yeah, that's 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 one way to do it. But if they come off the roost, you know, they, they go mingle with all the hens for a while. They, they, they've already got their plan for the day while they're on the roost. So mm-hmm. they know they've got bird in hand, you know. And so then your decoys or your calls, like, that's just a distraction for them. But if they've done with all that and then they hear something like whoa what about these heads i didn't know about these yeah let me get over there and check that out i'm done over here (laughs) and uh i don't know i mean we got in the blind that day at like 10 a.m you know and we shot that tom at uh 11 15 yeah that's pretty good i mean it was it was cool i've never myself and i've never had any luck hunting in the evening all my actions always been in the morning time for me and i've only hunted in georgia so yeah well missouri is a weird i don't know if it's weird but I, my friend that i hunt with he's uh he told me it was kind of non-standard so I, but can't hunt past one for turkeys in uh at least yeah in uh in missouri wow that's different yeah so it's morning only which it ain't too bad that's kind of crazy how you say you had a good hunt with your dad i got one or me and my dad got a memorable memorable hunt as well where we stalked in on this one tom probably three or four hundred yards down this shooting lane he was hung up with a bunch of hens it was about 10 o'clock when i shot him but he is my biggest tom to date he had like a 12 and a half inch beard and his spurs were like an inch and an eighth i still got him out there in my shop yeah that was the other thing this was a big tom it was close to the record i mean we measured it was a Mm -hmm. big big tom the spurs were uh big and the i think the beard was an inch shy of you know mm-hmm. uh kind of i mean it was big it was a big bird Heck it yeah. tasted delicious too yes that's another thing people don't realize how good wild turkey is it oh, is I phenomenal yeah. especially smoked well, on a grill yeah I, I didn't have much lug with the uh the legs but the breasts were pretty good i heard that hey and speaking of smoking we can get into that cooking for a minute if you want to when uh when did you start grilling <laughs> Hunt or how did you get into grilling? Brew. That's my that's my hunt fish smoke brew. I got four thing. I can't have any more hobbies. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I started smoking uh, barbecue out when we moved to Kansas City. It seemed like of everybody course. did it. So <laughs> yeah. just peer, peer pressure. Yeah. I had you know, I was down in the fire squadron, and everybody is out. Everyone really had embraced the the Midwest culture kind of thing, and mm-hmm. yeah, just over a couple of years, got peer pressured into it. I, I my my grill was all rusted out. I need a new grill. And then I was like, well, you know, I, I want a grill, but I don't want a grill and a smoker. So I got, uh, I got something that does both. And so it was just kind of time to get something anyway. So I got a smoker and then I really, really enjoyed smoking barbecue and we'd have mm-hmm. squatting competitions. And then same thing with brewing beer, you know, a bunch of guys brew beer, like you need to start brewing beer. Ah, no, you know, I don't, I don't got time for that. And then eventually I just started doing it. So all in the house, I, you just got those little brew kits in your home. Uh, I brew all grain. Uh, so I buy kits, of, you know, I buy the grain and the hops and, mm-hmm. um, the, the yeast. And then I start from there. Dang. Northern brewer is a, is a great outfit, uh, out in Northern Midwest, you know, Heck yeah. uh, and they, they're a good outfit and they, 
I got all my equipment through them and get, still get a lot of recipes through them. Dang, that's really cool. Now, let me ask you this. Are you a pellet grill guy or are you the type of guy that actually like to make a real fire and tend to it and smoke <laughs> that way? <one? laughs> uh, you know, I don't have any, uh, you know, I, I don't think one's better than the other, but I, for me, I prefer chunks of wood and a smoke on a green egg. Yeah. And uh, I know they're real proud of the green egg over at the green egg company, oh, but yeah. it's a, <laughs> they're really proud of that product, but it is a good, it is a good, pro- I like it a lot. Um, I like that it does both. I like, I like it for a lot of reasons, but, mm-hmm. uh, and then I had a friend that I flew tens with who was, he, he was really good smoker and he's really into it. And he had one and again, he kind of talked me into it. And then uh, he's been my, my barbecue mentor. I heard that. That's but, why back in the day I worked at a hardware store. And I was pretty much the grill guy for the time I was working there, but I got to work with a green egg Traeger and like yeah. the top of the line Weber's not just to kind of show them off and like cook the different foods. Are you familiar yeah. with any of the Traeger seasonings? No, Dude. Um, I know the Traeger grills are the Traeger smokers are, are supposed to be awesome, you know? And yeah. I, I, to be honest, I don't know if I would go maybe a different road with the pellets now that I know what I do know, but oh, it's a fire and I forget also, grill. It's awesome. <laughs> I like being, I like knowing that I can mess it up. I like knowing I have to have the fire move, put everything the right way. Mm-hmm. I like that, it, you know, it took me a while to figure it out. That it just makes it a little bit more. Well, it's like I painting. Guess. Yeah. It's like painting a picture. Sometimes you don't know if it's going to turn out good, but you just go with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And the end of the day, it still works out. Yeah. Still puts food on the table. But yeah, I was about those Traeger seasonings. Check those things out. The black and Saskatchewan. That is probably the best rub you can get to put on like whitetail meat or anything like that. It's a black pepper garlic rub, and it is awesome. And right, another, I'm, right, I'm writing it down right now, black and Saskatchewan. And it has okay. a Cape Buffalo on the tag or the label. And there's okay. a, another one is pork and poultry. Put you some bacon on the grill and sprinkle this <laughs> on it, and it's like meat candy. It had my yeah. daughter's drooling. My wife makes me grill it every time when I have the smoker going. All right, I'll do it. You'll won't regret it. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> I don't think I will. Yeah. But so Thank I'm trying you. to uh, kind of get back into fishing. If you, I know we're kind of jumping around here, and this episode has been kind of plagued by different factors. But uh, well, getting into waders and stuff. What kind of gear you use when you go out fishing nowadays? Uh, you know, so I prefer to wet wade at all costs. So I, I mean, I wear waders for sure when it gets cold, but. It has to be pretty cold for me to to put the waders on and mm-hmm. if i know that it's going to get sunny and warm i'll probably just deal with the cold until it gets warm uh that's bit me a few times where i've just been cold all day yeah <laughs> uh, and i don't recommend it it's probably better to just lean into the waders a little bit earlier mm-hmm. but uh i don't know this is kind of the way that i i like to be without the waders but mm-hmm. um you know i didn't have waders forever when i got to colorado my fly fishing uh, he's actually one of my accounting teachers and he was like the officer in charge of the fly fishing club. Uh, he, he's the one that said, you know, you need some waders, man. And, uh, he hooked me up or he just told me to get these Orvis waders. They were yeah. just the cheapest waders that Orvis made at the time. You know, this is 2000. So. Yeah. But the thing is there's nothing cheap at Orvis. I'm just going to throw yeah, that 20, out there. <laughs> 21 years ago or something. Yeah. yeah that's a hundred percent true. But, uh, yeah, so I had them forever, and then they eventually kind of rotted out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, <laughs> I sent them to Orvis and said, "Hey, you know, these are starting to leak. You know, can I get a, you know, <laughs> can you get a patch job? <laughs> yeah, can you get a patch job or replace these? You know, uh, they're like, hey, no, man. Um, <laughs> but I had them for a long time, and then uh, I think for Christmas one year several years ago i don't know four or six years ago something like that my wife got me some um another set of their their ultralight orbis mm-hmm. waders that kind of they've got suspenders that kind of come down so that you can be you can kind of go between having them be pants and waders yep so that's what i do um and yeah i like them mm-hmm. um, that's i run the good. frog tog hellbenders and they've i've used them last season they do pretty good um, do you got the velvet bottoms, or are you just run with the old rubber boot? I use uh, booties, and then I have uh, wading oh, okay. boots that I use. Um, there's a lot of streams, a lot of states that have where you can't use felt boots. What's the reason uh, behind that? 
Well, they have uh, different diseases um, uh, that uh, are in the waters that they want to avoid spreading. Yeah, or so it's, it's like a mop the, on the bottom of your shoe then. Yeah, it gets into the the, the, um, the algae mm-hmm. things. And then so now your feet are on that. And then so if you transfer that from one stream to another, then you're transferring that around. Um, okay, I, I can see that now. Yeah, and it's a, I mean, actually, I think Missouri is one of the states that doesn't allow it. Um, and then uh, I couldn't name them all. I, yeah. I, I could make a pretty good guess, but I don't I don't want to guess on your podcast. So. <laughs> no, you're good, but, dude. You're good. <laughs> so if you, you know, I just, it's never been, I've never missed it. I mean, mm-hmm. I've waited with uh, felt souls before, but, um, you know, yeah. I, I have just regular uh sims waiting boots well i've just i've never waited with felt bottoms i've always just got the boot because like in north carolina it has big boulders in the creeks and stuff like that and of course you probably know if you step on one it's like stepping on owl shit it's slicker and much and you'll fill up your waders quick and i've done that one time in my life and i ain't doing it again yeah yeah that's why it's important to wear a a belt with your waders because you can actually get into some dangerous situations too i think i was about mid thigh i mainly just dunked my body and i was able to stand right back up (laughs) yeah but imagine like falling in and you fill that up and now you're in fast water and you know you're moving downstream and Mm -hmm. you weigh you know 400 pounds (laughs) yeah oh yeah especially if it catches the current it's gonna suck you down in there and hold you underwater yeah. Which it has this elastic belt that goes around you, but it, I mean, I don't really feel like it does anything. So, but I mean, yeah, I guess I could maybe. tighten it as tight as it can go, but it's still, it's like really stretchy material. Just slows down the process. Yeah, I guess so. The agony. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, do you got like any fishing krills, nets? What kind of stuff are you running on that? Um, I have just a, a fly fishing net. Um, mm-hmm. I use a, a fish pond. Uh, hand net yeah uh, it's pretty wide and i like it a lot yeah seems to be good i've broken a lot of nets throughout the years mostly like run them over with the car or like step <laughs> on them or something yeah shut them so in the car door i got a nice net and uh yeah that's what i use now seems to be seems to be good i like it are you a more catch and release guy or keep one to cook one every now and again yeah i wouldn't say i'm religiously catch and release but mm-hmm. i am 99.9% of the time catch and release just because I don't, you know, I don't have the desire to, to take it and eat it. And yeah. then, you know, I've just struggled with trying to progress at fly fishing for so long that I always figure if everybody put the fish back, then I'd be a better fly fisherman. Yeah. So. Well, I'm, I'm never, uh, so I never keep trout always just catch and release. The only type yeah. of fish I like to eat is salt water. And that's really about it. Yeah. I mean, if I, if I'm up in the mountains, you know, mm-hmm. or, um, I mean, certainly I will keep a fish here in the, in the future and teach my son about, you know, gutting a fish and eating oh, fish. Yeah. Wrap that sucker like in an that. aluminum full. I mean, I've cooked them on the uh, creek side, catching them, putting them in full lemon butter is the best thing you can have on the side of a creek. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, uh, there's nothing wrong with it from time to time. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, as long as you're, uh. It's not growth. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you're following the law, then I don't really have anything to say. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I, I am a catch and release guy pretty much Which, all the time. I don't, re- I don't remember the last time that I ate a trout. It was probably when I was a teenager up in the mountains. Same for me. When, uh, so what's your favorite trout to get after? Or what kind of species do y'all have out there in Utah? Um, well, like I said, kind of new to the area, but, mm-hmm. uh, Browns, rainbows, brooks, cutthroats, and then um, I know that there's a myriad of cutthroat species out here. Couldn't name them all, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, those are the big ones. And then, um, yeah, what was the other part of the question? Oh, then what was like? What was your one you like to go after the most? And what like? Oh yeah, so a cutthroat is probably the most special fish for me to catch. Uh, mostly because it, it brings back a lot of memories from when I was a kid. My father was teaching me how to fish on small creeks in Montana. Um, I don't know. I just have these recollections of fish and him showing me the cut underneath the gill plate. And mm-hmm. um, and so every time I catch a cutthroat, it kind of makes me think about that. It makes me think about my father. And, oh, yeah. 
just the gift that he gave me with like teaching me about the outdoors and being in the woods and being quiet and reading water and tracking deer and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, it's just, so when I catch cutthroat, um, that's, that's a special thing for me. Yeah. And, uh, I'm pretty excited now to know that, there, that that's such a, a, a cool thing out here in Utah and to, to try and go after them a little bit more. This, this move to Utah has been, I think it's going to be good. We're I'm still just, getting used to the idea and seeing mountains <laughs> everywhere and trout streams and trying to unpack my house, uh-huh. set up my, set up my art studio and a podcast room. I finally have an office. So when I first awesome. started, I was painting in the storage room and I had wires set up the house going to the podcast and, <laughs> and I have a room and it's, uh, the way out there headquarters is, uh, here and uh, I'm excited. That is awesome, dude. So, uh, hang on, I have one more question. Oh, when the, so you're talking about the podcast, when did you start yours? I know you podcast, say you started that blog, but how, uh, or when did you decide yeah. to start one? Blog's about two years old, a little over than two years old. Mm-hmm. And the podcast is a little over one year old. Oh, okay. Cool. So yeah, I think I started the, the blog went live in June of 2019, I believe. So mm-hmm. 2021. So yeah, it's a little over two years on the blog. And then the podcast, uh, well, I do one a week, wait out there Wednesdays, and um, they come out. I, I'm publishing tomorrow is episode 60. It's going to awesome. be a cool episode with a, a, a photographer, uh, uh, Jakob Burleson from uh, Colorado. And he works for Umqua, and uh, Ooh, it's going to be a good episode. Cool. I'm excited about it. But, I'll uh, check that out. I'm talking to these guys. Yeah, yeah. That's about a little over a year, so 60 episodes, and like I said, once a week, and mm-hmm. the whole kind of thing around it is you know life uh wait out there's slogan i guess you would call it uh or tagline is fly fishing is special but not elite and one of the things when i was thinking about what should i write about you know what are you an expert in you're not you've never been a guide you've never been working in a fly shop you never even really you know i did have a spent a stint where i was living in colorado and i did go to utah quite a bit when i was in vegas but you know you never really been out in any fly fishing territory for any long period of time at least for trout uh so what can you write about and so you know my it occurred to me that i still had all these special experiences and special memories and stories and that i had actually learned a lot and that i was a much much better fly fisherman than i was when i started because I've always kind of tried to progress every time that I go and mm-hmm. really worked at getting better. Yeah. So oh, that's like, a well, constant learning that. process. Yeah. I just write stories about what I, something that happened. So it actually happened and then tie it to a lesson learned or something like that. And then, um, you know, I just want everybody to be able to go fly fishing and not think that it's some elite thing or that you have to have these Orvis boots or that mm-hmm. fancy waders or, you know, this and that and the other thing. And, you know, like I said, my first rod was from Walmart, and hey, uh, I'm still fishing with my. With it, you know, I'm still fishing with my Walmart rod that I bought thirteen. Uh, what shit? I'm 28 now, probably 15, 16 years ago. I mean, yeah. me and my brother the balling, but it's, I'll trust me. I want to get a good Orvis rod, but for me, as much as I go right now, it handles what I need to do, and I can beat it up a little yeah. bit more if I need to, because I don't want to take an expensive rod, because I'm I am kind of rough on my stuff. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And I, I think that's a good, that's a good philosophy. And, yeah. uh, Keep it clean, it's good back, and it's fine. <laughs> but I also think that fly fishing, you know, it, it, it's it's has a lot of, it just has affected so many people in so many positive ways that mm-hmm. I think that it would be a shame for someone to not get into fly fishing because of some um, preconceived stigma or idea or anecdote that they heard about someone or something that like fly fishing is not for them. Mm-hmm. And I'll. I'll take it one step further and say, you know, it was never my intent, I guess, but through my podcast, I've been able to speak to some people and I, I, I talked to them about why is fly fishing special for you. And, and I've had some interesting conversations with some people that can tell you that fly fishing has been instrumental in really deep and meaningful impacts on their life like life life changing life saving mm-hmm. uh experiences with um you know 
trauma or PTSD or uh, anxiety, depression, things, you know, mental, yep. things like that, that, that fly fishing for whatever reason, you know, has helped them. And they, they're pretty, pretty passionate about it as a result. And so, you know, the more I learned about that, the more I saw that, the more it made sense to me that, you know, it wouldn't, it would never be cool for me to like, well, you, you know, you don't belong out here cause you just started, you know, cause mm-hmm. everybody starts somewhere and yeah. who knows, maybe this person, they get into fly fishing and it has that kind of a meaningful impact on them. And that, that's just, wouldn't be cool to like not let them have that. And plus it's super fun. I love fly fishing. I think oh, yeah. people yeah. get out and have a good time. Yeah, it's cool. For sure. For sure. Now I'm trying to think we're getting on about 50 minutes here for, from where the, uh, the first half, I should say. Yeah, I'm trying to think of anything else. Uh, I had another thought back. Yep, I forgot it. I want to think. But, well, uh, if you want, are you feeling good about cutting it off here? Or uh... Yeah, man, it's your show, whatever you want to do. I'm uh, happy. This is going about an hour here, and I'll let you go. I imagine you got stuff to do, too. Uh, if you want, yeah. plug your stuff, man. Tell them your website where they can look at your art, and if they want to, buy it, your podcast as well. Yeah, sure. Well, it's just uh, wadeoutthere.com. Wade, like wade into the river and out there with two Ts. Mm-hmm. Wadeoutthere.com. And you can find my blog, my podcast, all my art, any kind of wade out there swag that you would be interested in. It's all on the website. And it's got links to all my social media as well. I'm on pretty much all social media. Okay. And um, yeah, check it out. And love to hear from you. Uh, I, I, I update a page on the podcast as well um, with upcoming guests and uh, kind of, you know, what they're going to be talking about. Uh, and so if you're a wait out there blog subscriber, then, uh, you know, you can ask questions and I'll try and ask the guests uh, if you have questions for them. All right, man. Well, good deal. Like I said, I appreciate you coming on, and good luck this upcoming season fishing in the river and hunting. Yeah, you too, man. All right, man. Well, you have a good one. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you, man.